yo, not a whole lot going on this week, but um, I did get to be a guest on a couple podcasts this week, actually. Uh, so look out for me on Rival and Queen, and also with my on my sister's podcast, uh, Freedom Slate Podcast, uh, hosted by Genete. Another thing I wanted to remind you of is for my listeners, if you go to rpaysme.com and you want to order something from the site, there is a special discount for podcast listeners, and I haven't mentioned it in a while, but in the discount area, type in podcast and you get 20% off any of your purchases. All right, let's get into the episode with Christina. What's up? My name is Dwayne Jones. I'm an artist and a designer and the founder of a lifestyle brand called Art Pays Me. And this is the Art Pays Me podcast. I love talking to creative people about their business, their successes, their challenges, and how they make the world a better place with their work. Let's get into it. Welcome to Art Pays Me. Today we have Christina Substack. Actually, I should have asked you before. Is that how you pronounce it, Substack? It is in English. Yeah. Um, how do you? How do you, <laughs> How's the? What's the real pronunciation? Substack. So my Substa. full name is Christina Elisa Evrubal Substack. Okay. And. But Substack. That... Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, Substack. Um, so what is it that you do? I am a visual artist. I don't know. My mediums paint. I, I feel like I've been living under a rock because I only recently came across your Instagram and, you know, I think it's because I saw you pop up on my friend Aoife's, uh, account mm-hmm. at some point and I was like, huh. Oh. Who's this? And I looked at your account. It's like your work is fantastic. You've participated in like over 175 international group and in like solo exhibitions, and you've done residencies. You've you've got your work in multiple government collections, and you're represented in galleries from here to uh, Newfoundland and New Brunswick. So I'm like, yeah. where have you been all this time? <laughs> I've been hiding. Is that the camera shy thing you were talking about earlier? <laughs> um, maybe a little bit. No, um, yeah, I've been busy for the last ten years, ish, roughly twelve years. Mm-hmm. Right, and you went to NASCAD. I did. Yeah, I graduated um, in 2010, and you did. A, you graduated from NASCAD as well, didn't you? Yes, I did uh, in 2004. Oh wow. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I found it, found it interesting that you've kind of like really been putting in a lot of work and I, I really pay attention and, and still somehow miss, missed you. Um, so one thing, like during this pandemic, how has your art practice changed or has it changed? Um, it hasn't changed too much. Um, I'm actually really overwhelmed at the support that from collectors and galleries through the pandemic, they really showed local artists a lot of support. So I was pretty happy with that. Good, good. And you grew up in Norway? 
Um, no, my first few years in Norway and then mostly in Canada. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> what kind of, a ch- actually, what part, of, what part of Canada did you grow up? In Halifax. Halifax? Like, okay, so I'm like really under a rock. Like. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's funny. Um, yeah, so. In the last few years, and I haven't really established myself um, as an artist in Nova Scotia until the last few years. I was in Newfoundland for a while. Okay, so that would make sense. And that's kind of why the the sort of dual relationship there. Right, gotcha. exactly. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, so were you like always a creative child? Is that something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always had many creative outlets. I was always drawing or painting or singing or dancing and exploring. So I think it was pretty, um, pretty natural that I went to NASCAD and pursued this for sure mm-hmm. did you mm-hmm. always think it would be painting um not until probably later in my teenage years I really gravitated towards painting mm-hmm. and it I just felt so passionate that I needed to paint and use that as my main creative outlet and that's where I focused in NASCAD as well gotcha gotcha mm-hmm. um so like you recently uh you've been traveling and you posted some pictures of mountains and i asked you if like that was your muse uh like yeah they're they're such a common part of your work what is it that makes you so drawn to them um i think that whether it's the mountains or just um even the beach here wherever i am but especially in the mountains you get that overwhelming feeling of insignificance Mm-hmm. but in a really peaceful, important kind of way, not in a doom and gloom kind of way. Right, right. And um, you actually, I was asking you about uh, how fast you work. And that's something mm-hmm. that's always fascinating to me. Is that something that is intentional, um, like the, the pace at which you work, or is it more like intuitive? Or um, I think a little bit of both. Um, I work very intuitively um, from memory and past experiences and that. Um, I also don't have very much patience. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to get an idea out or something like that. I need it to happen right now. And then I'll watch paint dry for hours and I can't do that. So I usually have half a dozen paintings on the go at once so I can explore this idea over here and then move along, move along, move along. And then by the time, things are starting to dry up or cure, then I can circle back to the first one. Mm-hmm. So I might have paintings of the same idea on the go at once, but um, I think too with the, the chaos of weather and the hecticness of wind and the drama of nature, um, I think part of that makes me want to work quickly as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I tend to work in acrylic I and mm-hmm. I've been afraid to touch oil, but what you're saying with having a bunch of paintings on the go at a time, it makes sense, I guess, because I'm always worried about the pace at which I'd work. Right. Uh-huh. You work fairly quickly? Um, no, actually, I work very slowly. Mm-hmm. But I guess the drying time in oil, I guess I, I, I'd be worried about and um, whether, but in some ways it sounds great because Sometimes I'm like, oh, I want to mix that a little better. And 
Mm-hmm. The car is so fast, it's hard to, to get yeah. there in time. Yeah. yeah. And you can so much too, like depending on the mediums um, we're adding to it. Like if I want something to dry really, really quickly, I just load up on Taltine or one of these faster curing mediums. Ah, okay. Okay, got mm-hmm. you, got you. And um, mm-hmm. do you, like what size are your paintings typically? Um, I love to work large, like really large, the larger, the better. Um, so I usually have a few going into a show that's like between four by six feet. Okay. I'd love to larger, but it doesn't always make sense for the galleries for storing and marketability and that kind of thing. So right now I'm working on a lot of three by fours and three by fives and four by fives. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So do you find this is, this is another interesting thing. Sorry. I'm like nerding out because I really, <laughs> I'm really into this stuff. Uh, the small size paintings, do you mm-hmm. find say like, like a 12 inch by 12 inch or something like that painting Would do those kind of things tend to move faster than say like a two foot by three foot painting? Like sales wise. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's pretty. It's much more palatable for people to spend uh, like a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars or five hundred dollars or something like that. Um, but actually, I find the three by fours are pretty palatable for people too. Um, but around the holidays, the smaller stuff definitely goes quicker. But I find it really difficult to paint small. Ah, uh, well, and and it makes sense with your style. It- um, it seems like you're using more of your arm. Uh, yeah, it's a very physical practice. Right. I used to just roll canvas out on the floor and I'd be walking through the canvas and using my whole body to paint it pretty much. And then um, I, sent, I stretched some work and sent it to the Jones Gallery in New Brunswick. And they were like, you have a dog, don't you? I was like, <laughs> 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 and since then I had a dog and apparently Oscar's hair was all throughout the paint. I was like, Oh my God, I can't paint like this anymore. So now I hang the, I staple it to the wall and paint that way, but it's still very much a physical practice and just try to keep the dog hair at bay. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, what kind of dog is Oscar? He's a Labradoodle. See, and I assumed it was a Labradoodle because I have yeah. two Labradoodles. So every dog yeah. is a Labradoodle to me. Yeah. <laughs> And I've seen a couple other Labradoodles that kind of look like him, but he has like a, a human man's beard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's kind of why I asked because a few times I've guessed and ended up being wrong. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I, I love the doodles though. They are, they are fun. Yeah. They're lovely. So I've been in the creative industry for almost 20 years, but as far as a fine artist, I consider myself still emerging. I mean, I, I sold my first painting before I even went to NASCAR, but then... Amazing. After going to NASCAR, I just, like, started to fully identify as a designer and, and really yeah. uh, hyper-focused on that. But now I, I realize that I, I think my passion really is more on the art side of things, so I'm, I'm really exploring that side. Yeah. and. One thing I've noticed is um, I found it difficult at first, but I'm starting to really enjoy the process is figuring out identity as an artist and 
you know, I I have so many different aesthetic um, things that I enjoy and so many different styles that I like to work in. Right. Uh, but, you know, and I've, I've noticed I was checking out your work in 2015 is when you started to focus a little more on the mountains. But then before that, your work was a little different and it was different before that. Is yeah. that a, a conscious choice to say, okay, now I'm in this phase of my practice? Um, it was really difficult. I found, um, like, I, well, we're in Ascad's a conceptual art school. I didn't necessarily consider landscape painting conceptual like I do now, but um, I was just searching for my style and I was drawn to everything. Like I wanted to paint landscapes, but it's like, wait, I don't want to be a landscape painter. I had like a stigma around it, yeah. which is long gone. Um, uh, so I resisted that urge and I was really drawn to figure painting and abstraction. I didn't quite um, know how to navigate. Like I'm going from really abstract to figures. Why, why? Like it doesn't make sense. And then figures to landscape, like it didn't, it just wasn't making sense to me. It didn't feel cohesive. And then I actually um, sat down and thought like about what it is that I really, why I want to paint and what it is that I'm drawn to. And it is nature and landscapes and stuff. So. I kind of surrendered the fight and started painting what was natural for me. And um, since then, it's been, uh, it, it feels really good to um, just lean into that rather yeah. than, cause I felt like I was searching for a really long time um, and feeling forced to be saying something more than what was authentic for my practice. But it's well, hard. Yeah, it is. And I, I experienced that as well. Uh, yeah. Even though I was in design a lot, I definitely, I did a lot of um, illustration and mm. drawing courses. So I, I I was in the fine art side quite a bit while I was at NASCAD. And mm. um, even at Bermuda College, I, I did more fine art there than I was design. But like, yeah, there is this point where uh, I I was definitely more of a representational artist and I felt like, oh, that's so amateur. You must be more abstract. It's, uh, but but the thing is, I noticed lately, and this is why I realized I'm starting to enjoy this process is I'm seeing people like you and I find that I am drawn to the human figure in certain ways, but I am also drawn to abstraction. So Right. But that I'm also drawn to words and, and storytelling. And right. instead of worrying about what other people would say in the industry about this work, what right. happens if I just go with it? And it's okay if I do 10. Uh, one thing I've also worried about is like, I always wanted to do have every painting look like it was an individual new different thing. But then yeah. it, why does it have to? Does it? No, exactly. And it feels so good to just um, accept that, you know, and you can, it doesn't, you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time and you can have a painting that's abstract and a figure painting and a painting covered in words next to each other and you will have a common thread going through it. Yeah. Looking back at the evolution of my work, even when I was painting figures, that mark translated all through to my landscapes too so there is that common thread your hand is still your hand and that's going to um, be evident in the work um, 
One thing I did find though, um, for exhibiting, I, I do want a body of work that feels cohesive. Um, so I would just personally, I wouldn't necessarily put uh, like five landscapes and then throw one of my old figure paintings in there just because it wouldn't tie in with that concept. But if I painted them all at once, it would, then there'd be that wave or that thread going through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I um, had an interview recently and uh, this artist said kind of a similar thing. It's like, it's okay to explore whatever you want, but then curate within your own body of work when you're trying to tell a specific story. Right. Yeah. And I've found talking to other artists as well, um, when, when we stop worrying about what might sell or what the galleries might want or anything outside of ourselves, if you're just authentic to what it is you want to create, that's going to make strong work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, I'm glad you mentioned that. So do you, well, you said you don't worry about it, but has there been a time where you felt oh, I painted this thing in the past and someone bought it, so now I need to do more like that. Have you felt that? I have felt that, and I found um, that the work that I created after that, almost to try to mimic it, um, felt flat. Mm -hmm. It's such but a I, weird... Oh, go ahead. Uh, I think a lot of artists find that, especially when you're selling well, too, because you do want to make a living, then you're like, okay, well, this is selling really well, so you kind of do want to be strategic in some ways, but you still want to make good work. And then you make this body of work and you're like, oh, this is shit. <laughs> yeah. And then you just um, aren't kind to yourself, but then you got to step back and just realize that you're just expressing yourself and that's beautiful. So how do you, uh, how do, do you concentrate on that balance or do you leave that to the galleries to worry about that and you just, you just get in your your creative creativity bag and do what you got to do and they figure out all that a little bit of because i i mean like we were talking about earlier with sizing and stuff like that where you do want to make it marketable and palatable for people to purchase and collect but again you want to make strong work as well so that's always kind of on my mind and then sometimes i'll just like put it in the back of my mind and then i get really into my rhythm of painting and creating um but it's always kind of there you want to have that balance mm -hmm. and sometimes it is work like sometimes you're feeling incredibly passionate as you know painting and you're into it and then some days you're like i'm not feeling very inspired but i have to work so you just do it mm -hmm. yeah uh that that, <laughs> that repetition that um that builds that muscle that I think a lot of us don't always want to, to do. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you, did, have you found that, um, uh, I don't know, when it became a job and it became like a professional practice, has that changed your view of, of art making? No, not, not really. I'm a hopeless romantic and I can uh, romanticize anything. So, <laughs> Um, no, I really enjoy it. Um, 50% of my practice is creating, um, the other half, I would say I'm spending outside gathering my inspiration working, but <laughs> just enjoying and experiencing. Yeah, no, that's, that's huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, because, well, one other thing that I, I, um, I'm realizing is, 
I find that some people um, maybe are having trouble with creating their work because they're not living life. And you kind of need to have subject matter. You need to consume something or experience something in order to to feed into your work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, whatever it is that you're drawn to or that inspires you to create, you have to go and experience that. So you definitely have to get out of the studio. I was talking to Emily Pittman recently And she was saying the same thing that she spends 50% of her practice in the studio, but then like you have to get outside and explore Mm -hmm. and have experiences, talk to people, Mm -hmm. listen to Mm them. Yeah. When you were an art student, did you expect that that's what it would be? Or did you think that the life would just be painting 24-7? I didn't really know what to expect I this has far surpassed any expectation would have had so I'm really happy about that um initially getting out of art school you know you're selling paintings for like 200 big paintings for like 200 dollars and you're just so psyched because I was saying this and the person buying your work is like sucker <laughs> making money you're working at restaurants and cafes and just hustling and trying to show wherever you could, but um, I think, yeah, I didn't really know what to expect, but um, at least surprised. Would you, would you advise, I've, I've kind of seen this as well too, where I've seen really gifted people really undersell their work and pricing is just, it's a hard thing. Sometimes I've had my stuff higher prices and now I'm on a lower end and now I'm considering putting them back up. Um, mm still trying to figure that out myself but like I don't know would you advise uh say a new artist to to stick to a certain price and not necessarily think about what can I afford right now think I don't know yeah what would your advice be on that on pricing that that was hard as well um but it kind of for me happened organically um I've had a lot of really wonderful people in my life within the arts that were much more established when I was kind of coming out of art school um, that told me that I was underselling my work and they kind of helped me along with pricing where it should be at that stage of my career. Um, And then just kind of slowly moved it up from there. Um, But it is, it is a tricky one. I'm sure there's probably formulas, um, I don't know. I feel like I could probably advise someone on their pricing if they're just getting out of art school because they probably are underselling it. Mm-hmm. But then I've seen other students way oversell, like a million dollars. Right. Yeah. So you, you do want to be able to sell it, um, but you don't want to oversell or undersell because if you price it too high, you don't want to end up having to start giving deals, you know, or like to bring the price down. You don't want to do that. Um, so it is hard. It's tricky. But galleries are generally, I find, really good about boosting your prices when they feel like it's been a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And they do it in a very strategic way. Yeah, I was talking to another artist and um, he said he's completely hands off with the pricing. He just leaves it to his gallery. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and they know they know who their buyers are. They know what exactly. they would expect and those kind of things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, outside of uh, the painting, what uh, 
what are you listening to right now, music-wise? Um, that's such a hard question. I'm such a music nerd. It's so mood-based. Like this morning, um, I was listening to Devandra Banhart okay. all morning. Um, but then I might be listening to Dave Matthews or Led Zeppelin or Billy Holiday or Taylor Swift. Or, I guess it really doesn't. I'm so open to music. Like it's always on and really um, influences my work as well. Because um, like very uh, lyric based, like a lot of people really enjoy the melody, but I'm always listening to the words and writing. Yeah, the hopeless romantic piece. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and you mentioned titling. How important is titling your work to you? Um, it's a huge part. It's one of my favorite parts of my practice. Um, I don't really have a sketchbook. Like, this is my sketchbook, and it's just full of titles and words. And <laughs> if you say something that I find eloquent or lovely, I'll write it down and paint it into a painting. So um, titling is very big for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, it's, it is for me too. And um, do you ever find yourself incorporating words into your paintings or is it more just like conceptual in the sense of um, painting based on this, but, you know? I, I definitely have in the past. I haven't done that recently. Um, I usually will write it on the wall beside the painting or like my walls upstairs are covered in words. I've been asked to stop writing on walls. My <laughs> 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 process and the floor. Um, yeah, I have written in paintings in the past and then painted over it. And it's kind of just like a nice intimate secret that you have with your piece. Um, do you write in your paintings? I do. And uh, so it's funny you mentioned the landscape thing. So one of the last paintings I did was a landscape. And I used to always look down on landscape painting and partly mm-hmm. because like I grew up in Bermuda. So it's a very picturesque place. And, mm-hmm. you know, there, that was art. That was what art was. It was um, people, the, most of the artists that were well-known were landscape painters. So I was like, I don't want to do that. I want to do the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, with the pandemic, I haven't been able to travel as much. And one mm-hmm. of the, the last places I went to was Bermuda, and I took a photo, and I was just like, that photo just encapsulates how I feel when I'm there. And I just am feeling like I have to paint that. I just have yeah. to. And yeah. but it was messing with my identity as an artist. Um, <laughs> it's weird. I, I hate that feeling so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you do identify, like, you're creating pieces of yourself, basically. It's like every painting you make is basically a self-portrait in a way, whether it's abstract or a poem or a landscape or whatever. So it does mess with your identity when you're kind of really holding on. But that is just also part of your identity. Absolutely. And, and it's, yes. you're right. Every piece of work we make is a self-portrait. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, but what I found I was doing was I started out just writing the words of what that piece reminded me of uh, Mm -hmm. from home yeah and but over time as I added more paint and more paint the words just got became invisible so 
you can't they're not perceptible to anyone but i know that they're there yeah Um, that's beautiful yeah and how did you feel after you painted that looking at it um well that and that that's where i realized like that exploration of who i am as an artist became more fun because i realized that it's not like a completely representational it's still kind of abstract very loose lines but yeah i that's that's where i want to be like i i feel like this is more along the lines of me not just trying to force something out i like i'm like i used to feel uh, insecure about my loose lines and want to tighten mm. everything up and I'm like yeah. nah like I like the loose lines it it works and yeah that's how you um, and how your thoughts want to translate into your body's movements mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and I'm not worrying about whether people want to buy it or whether people are going to like it or not I'm doing it all for me yeah so that's kind of how I found too like um like you I'm drawn to the figure as well um but like in a very gestural way and then I'm also like in art school I loved going down those abstract expressionist holes um but my landscapes are very abstracted I find and the lines are loose and I'll still paint like I still consider some of them portraits of the person that I'm with like if I'm hiking with someone or experiencing something with someone that maybe is wearing like a chartreuse jacket or something like that. I'll paint you into the picture in a very abstracted way. So now it's like a self-portrait of you or a portrait of you, um, in my opinion, yeah. as much as landscape. And then I can incorporate the words in the title. Nice. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Yeah, so I guess like picking your colors sometimes are inspired by those different because you like you're using all different kinds of colors that aren't necessarily in the landscape yeah so that might be pulled from um maybe just something very obvious like something you're wearing or um a color of a house that or a car that just drove by or whatever um but it could also be the color of the sound that i'm experiencing um in a synesthetic way you have synesthesia Mm-hmm. with music and sound and words yeah. I'm jealous uh, that's cool yeah. uh, I know a lot of people um, aren't aware that they have it I didn't find out until I was in university and I was explaining to I don't know if you know Suzanne Gautier no. she was one of my um, <laughs> she was we were doing a crit and I was like I'm painting like the C chord and it's just so yellow you know and she's like what and she's like, like, unpack that a little bit. So I started talking about the color of music and she handed me a book about synesthesia. And she's like, I think you need to read this. I had no idea what it was. I just thought everyone thought in color that way. Like your name is like, uh, to me is very navy blue and like threads of like gray blue. Wow. That's so funny. I always identified with the color blue growing up. Uh, oh. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what are you sorry i said i'm witchy <laughs> Yo, you're witchy. <laughs> uh so uh i read uh recently i read a book by jerry saltz um i think it's called how to be 
an artist or something like that. And oh, yeah. I'm re- I really enjoyed it. it um, do you read books at all? I, I, I wish I was a voracious reader. Um, I'm a forgetter. So I'll be on the fifth page and then I'll be like so distracted that I have to go back and reread the pages. Um, I can get really into a crime book, but this is what I've been flipping through lately. This is actually a gift from Aoife. Oh. <laughs> so a lot of gardening stuff and planting natural gardens and stuff. I'm not a huge reader. I'm a podcaster. Ah, okay. Nice. Mm-hmm. nice. So what, what do you listen to then? Um, most recently, I was listening to the Bank Robber Diaries. Ah. Have you heard that? No. It's pretty gripping. It's um it's like true crime stuff. Um I also really like lore. Okay. Mm. I don't remember what else I've been listening to. Smartless, hilarious. If you've heard that. No, I haven't heard any of those. <laughs> mm. Cool. Yeah, but it's um, for me it's the music that's on. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, do you, so you listen to podcasts while you work as well too? I do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so, um, what would you consider to be the biggest challenge as, as an artist for you? Um, I'd say, um, the unpredictability of the art market is always something that I think kind of weighs on most artists. Just, it can be feast or famine and you just don't know, um, so you kind of try to be strategic with your exhibitions and stack them and, and that kind of thing. Um, that's probably the biggest um, stressor I find or biggest challenge thinking about um, being a professional artist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And you mentioned your camera shy. Have you ever considered doing the, the live painting thing or recording yourself? Yeah. Um, I'm thinking that a friend of mine, Jared Betts, I don't know if you know him. No, um, but I've seen you post him on him. Yeah, he, I'm having a solo exhibition with him um, at the Christina Parker Gallery in Newfoundland, um, opening April 22nd. And we thought we'd do a live stream something before then. So. Nice. If nice. I can handle it. <laughs> <laughs> you can. Uh, yeah, as, as a fellow camera shy person, I, um, I'm working on that. That's the old, the other thing that I said, I, I'm trying to do the video thing with the podcast. I typically don't even have my camera turned on. I'm just yeah. trying to not hate the way I look and, and be comfortable with like, sharing stuff. For sure. Yeah, it's scary. It's not, I feel like I'm scared all the time. I'm trying to tell myself that it's excitement. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So um, if there's any advice you would give people like me emerging, trying to figure stuff out, <laughs> um, what, what would that be? I would say um, just be authentic and be honest with yourself about what it is you want to make regardless of what you think other people might want from you. And then just don't stop, just persevere and keep going burn the candle at both ends I guess if you have to but but as far as making your work like um it's so hard when you're identifying with one particular thing so it's just be kind to yourself and let yourself create what it is that um 
you really want to create. Right. Do you um, set a goal for yourself for a year to say like, oh, this year I want to create a certain amount of painting? Uh, not necessarily. I, I like to give myself deadlines. So I always like to have a show or two lined up if I can. And then there's usually group shows going on with the galleries as well. So deadlines make me work really hard. And usually if I have a solo show, then I know that I'm, I'm probably going to need 10 to 15 to 20 paintings for this gallery and X amount for this gallery and so much for this um, uh, like group show or something like that. But yeah, that, uh, that definitely lights a fire when I have mm. deadlines to work towards. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I, I'm, I'm kind of similar. I, I found that when I have a show or something, I'm, there's nothing like that inspiration <laughs> to get something done. Right. Yeah, and you're so stoked because, you know, it's, it's so exciting having a show and you want to share yeah. your work with Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So speaking of shows, like uh, you've mentioned something that you have coming up and you've got a show going on currently. Tomorrow, uh, uh, actually, at Studio 21, I have a solo show. So a dozen new pieces are going to be on display there as of tomorrow. And I'll be at the gallery on Saturday um, to do artist talks or meet and greets uh, between one and four. Okay. And I think the show runs for four weeks or something like that. And then the next one is in April in Newfoundland. Okay, what are the dates? Because this uh, probably will be out after that. Okay, so May 4th, no, March 4th for Studio 21 and April 22nd for um, Christina Parker Gallery. Okay, mm-hmm. cool, cool. And that's and the show with Jared, yeah. That's the show with Jared, all right, nice, mm-hmm. nice. Yeah. Cool. So where can people find you online? Um, I have a website, christinasobstad.com. Um, I'm on Instagram at christinasobstad. And then through my gallery representation as well. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, Christina, thank you for jumping on Art Pays Me. I appreciate it. And I actually want to get Aoife on. I've asked her before she said she'd do it, and I just haven't followed up. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Okay. Thank you so much for having me on. Yes, indeed. Thank you for listening to Art Pays Me. Thank you to Langy Beats for the theme music. You can find more of his music on YouTube. If you got anything out of this, please rate, review, or leave a comment on whatever platform you're listening. You can find out more about Art Pays Me at artpaysme.com, or you can hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Clubhouse. I'm at Art Pays Me on all of those platforms. With that, we're out. Peace.